Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The U.S. men's national team has just finished up their final friendlies. Their final 180 minutes before the team heads to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. And if you're a U.S. men's national team fan that witnessed those 180 minutes, you are not feeling very optimistic about the squad, about the coach, about the players, about the uniforms, about anything at all having to do with this particular World Cup. Hell, even the location of the World Cup is problematic. Not a great taste in our mouths as we head into November. Um, I, I think reflecting on these friendlies, they were incredibly disappointing, but I think more than anything for me, they were so damn weird. It seemed like so much of what we were building towards, we just abandoned in this window, uh, particularly tactically. Whereas I thought I had a handle on this team after World Cup qualifiers and into the summer. And then we come into this window and we just start doing a lot of different things that we've never done before. So in this video, we're going to take a look at these two games and look at some of the weird stuff that the team did. Some of the stuff we were expecting them to do versus what they actually did and try to ask the question, why? Why were we doing these things? Um, and hopefully find some silver linings that we can take with us and hold on to um, as the U.S. prepares bears to head to guitar for the 2022 world cup all that and more on this episode of the yank report what's up my name is sam this is the yank report a show about all things american soccer if you're into that hit the subscribe button hit the like button if you want to support the channel leave a comment you can become a member let's get into it let's start with why this window was so weird but before we do let's hear a word from today's sponsor bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50 to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. So I think the A number one thing that made these two games so weird is that if you think about what the U.S. men's national team does, if you think about what makes them good, what makes them successful, what Greg Berhalter said is going to be the most difficult thing about playing this U.S. men's national team in Qatar is the press. And we didn't see a press over these two games. The U.S. kind of sat back in a a more or less passive mid-block, which is not something we've seen from the squad since, uh, gosh, going back to um, uh, early World Cup qualifiers or even uh, the, the Nations League semifinal against Honduras and, and maybe against Mexico. We just haven't seen this team play so passive, and it was, it was really bizarre. The second thing the U.S. did that was really weird, uh, really painfully weird, I should say, is they built from the back which is something that the U.S. had largely gotten away from in World Cup qualifying. Uh, we went from a squad uh, maybe during the Gold Cup and, and the Nations League and the build-up to World Cup qualifying and even early on in World Cup qualifying, a, a team that built from the back and held on to possession and tried to kick it back and forth between the center backs and whatnot. And, and we transitioned to a team that played transition, that really uh, looked to get vertical, that looked to get upfield as soon as possible. And then in these two friendlies, we saw a team that once again was trying to possess it from the back um, and really build from the back with, with a group of players that were just not prepared to do so. And we'll get into some of the criticisms of the system later on in the video, but that was the second thing that made it really weird. And I think the third thing that made it really weird is 
our shape, which was different than we're used to seeing. I mean, throughout World Cup qualifying, we got really used to seeing this 2-3-5 formation whenever the U.S. has possession in the opponent's attacking half. We've seen implemented also a, a three-man back line with Reggie Cannon coming in as like this multifunctioning player, depending on whether the team has the ball or not. Uh, but largely, it's been that 2-3-5 formation. And in, this, in these two games, we saw something a little bit different, which I was not anticipating, but I think at the Saudi Arabia game, like, actually kind of worked. And that's the first thing I want to get into. If we go back to the Japan game, the Japan game was a disaster. And one of the big reasons why is the U.S. just had no width. With Gio Reyna playing as an inside wide attacker and Sam Vines kind of hanging back and kind of playing between the midfield and the back line. Now, over the past few months of doing these videos, I've had some like signs of evidence that I feel like Greg Berhalter watches this channel every now and then, uh, because specifically in the last video where we discussed the Japan game, I said this. Let's take Weston McKinney, who is having the worst game I've ever seen from him in the buildup for the U.S. men's national team, and get him the hell out of the midfield and put him uh, as one of the wingers to allow the U.S. to have an option to hit it long to him so he can go out and be physical and win, win balls. And in the game against Saudi Arabia, I think the most obvious thing right from the start was that Weston McKinney was definitely pressed forward. And with Weston McKinney pressed forward, what we ended up having is Christian Pulisic was the wide man on the left flank for the U.S. men's national team. Traditionally, that's uh, Jedi Robinson providing the width. Christian Pulisic plays inside of him. And then Weston McKinney will drop back and sometimes be a part of that midfield three sometimes drop back to where the center backs are, kind of depending on the needs of the buildup in that moment in time. Um, in this game, we saw something way different. We saw Weston McKinney get forward and be that inside attacker. We saw Christian Pulisic get out wide. And we saw Serginho Des kind of hover in that space between the midfield and, and the center backs. And it did some really interesting things. It asked a lot of questions uh, of, of the right winger who was kind of covering Serginho Des um, on that left flank. Um, where he was kind of oscillating between, do I cover McKinney, who's moving forward? Do I cover Dest, who's out wide? Or do I drop back and, and provide cover for Christian Pulisic, who's the U.S.'s most dangerous attacker, and he's kind of wide open on the left flank? And I think throughout the first 45 minutes of the game, a lot of the best stuff that happened for the U.S. came because of that, um, that, that formation and that tactical setup. Uh, Serginho Dest provided the U.S. the ability to um, either make penetrating runs forward a la Yunus Musa. He was able to combine well with uh, Weston McKinney and Christian Pulisic, and he was able to pick out passes for Pulisic as well. The other thing this did was whenever the U.S. did work it back uh, across the field to maybe DeAndre Yedlin or uh, Walker Zimmerman, those players were able to play long diagonals to Pulisic and McKinney who were just dangerous all game, um, at least in getting behind the back line for, um, for Saudi Arabia. Now, whenever I first saw this, I wondered if this was just kind of natural rotations of the players, and I was reading a little bit too much into it, but I saw some things that really provided evidence that this was something very intentional and was an was a intentional tactical wrinkle that Berhalter threw in here. The first thing is that this tactic wasn't mirrored on the other side of the field. On the right flank, DeAndre Yedlin was providing the width which in the normal position of a uh, U.S. fullback in this shape. Uh, Gio Reyna was the inside forward uh, provide in the normal position for an inside forward in this particular shape. And then the really interesting thing is about the 40-minute mark, 
uh, the US did something that I also asked them to do in the last video, just swap the wings, a simple move that I, I don't understand why we don't do it. We, we don't really do it at all, ever. Paul Ariola and Christian Pulisic switch sides, and they switch sides for, for a longer period of time. And the really interesting thing about whenever they switch sides is they retain this shape where Christian Pulisic was the inside forward on the right side, and Paul Ariola was the uh, wide, wide, wide forward on the left. So they retain this shape even whenever they switch sides, which seems to me to be something that Burhalter uh, had in store for them. It was planned. Everybody understood what was going to happen. And it did provide some results because it was Christian Pulisic on the right side in that inside forward position uh, that made that run in behind that created an opportunity that really Christian should have done better with. To provide further evidence that this was something intentional and not something that just kind of happened, the U.S. switched back to our traditional shape in the second half where we saw Serginho Dest as the wide left attacker. We saw Christian Pulisic as the inside forward and Wes McKinney dropped back and was largely playing that position that Dest was earlier. The big difference is I think Wes McKinney is just not in form right now. He's not looking good and um, he, he failed to get forward with penetrating runs. He was sloppy in his passing. He didn't have any of the long balls that he normally has. And his decision-making was just off. He was playing in runs that weren't quite there um, and just failed to make the impact that Serginho Des was having in that position. And I think a large reason why you saw the effectiveness um, in the left side of the field in the first half go away in the second half is because Dest and McKinney switched, which... Watching the game was really frustrating for me because I really wanted the U.S. to win. But as I sit back, uh, it makes a little bit more sense now that um, if that was an experiment, if this was something Greg was looking to do just to show opposition that the U.S. has these different tactics that, that they had to prepare for, um, it was a very interesting wrinkle. And it's something that the U.S. can definitely take forward and bring with them to Qatar. Now, the interesting thing here is that in Qatar, theoretically, Jedi Robinson will be the uh, left fullback. And Serginho Des will be the right fullback. So that means we won't be able to see this tactic used exactly. Because for all the uh, the great things that uh, Jedi Robinson brings to this squad, he's just he, he's not going to beat players off the dribble like Serginho Des. And he's not as crisp in his passing. He's not a super technical player. That's not really want, where we want him. And oh, by the way, he was one of the U.S.'s most effective weapons being that wide player on the left side. So I don't really expect that to be much of a thing. However, where it does make a lot of sense is on the right side with Serginho Dest. Assuming Tim Weah is playing as the far right attacker, it allows um, it allows Serginho Dest to drop back and really dictate the offense. And you have Weston McKinney up there able to receive long balls, which is probably his best superpower as a player and, and really utilize this athleticism and really be direct. It, it gives the U.S. A, a big weapon there. And it's something that we can just kind of switch to anytime we want. In the meantime, on the left side, you can have Yunus Musa, um, who's more or less playing that position that Serginho Des was playing, and he can make those penetrating runs, he can combine well, and he can create advantageous situations in the U.S.'s left flank, whether that means Jedi Robinson getting opportunities to cross the ball, where I think he's one of, if not the best, crosser uh, of the ball that the U.S. has at the moment, and it's something that we sorely missed over these two games, um, or it's giving the ball inside to Christian Pulisic, where just that's exactly where we want the ball uh, most of the time for the U.S. anyway, is, is at Christian Pulisic's feet, 
with his head looking at the goal on the left side of the box, one-on-one matched up with a defender. Now, this is exciting because I think throughout World Cup qualifying, one of the big uh, criticisms of Burhalter and, and sort of the system that the team's been running um, is the lack of, uh, shall we say, dynamism, the lack of, of a lot of changing going on, a lot of interchange. Um, and, and I think... Having this available as a tool, as something that we can pull out mid-game and and just kind of change things up for 15 minutes or just kind of um, throughout the game, uh, change the point of emphasis and and kind of change where the attack's coming from from the U.S. is a really great thing. And and that's an exciting thing moving forward, knowing that we have that in our tool belt. So if you're a fan looking for silver linings to come out of this uh, September-friendly window, I think the big ones you can take away is... The U.S. is definitely going to press in the World Cup. They've been talking about the press. They're built to press. Pressing is is in their DNA. It is absolutely something they're going to do. I have a feeling that we didn't see it because I think Greg was trying to save Gio's legs a little bit. I got to imagine that if you're Borussia Dortmund, the last thing you want is for Gio Reyna just to be running his butt off uh, for 90 minutes uh, whenever he's uh, potentially has this injury that he's kind of dealing with. And I think we saw that. So I'm guessing that because of that, the U.S. tried not to press as much. Maybe we w- didn't want to show the press uh, to the opposition so they could prepare for our press. I don't know. Maybe Greg was playing 3D chess. I, I hope that's what was going on. But I definitely expect the U.S. to press. Uh, number two, I don't expect us to possess the ball with our center backs as much. Uh, number one, because we just can't. Uh, and I think we've showed that over and over. Uh, but number two, because I think with Yunus Musa on the field, um, and and sort of the, the U.S.'s best players, we're definitely going to be looking to get vertical, get down the field as quick as possible. I don't think we're going to play this way, uh, which is a good thing because we did not play well at all in this in this tactical setup. Now, one of the big criticisms that I heard following this two-game window is criticisms of the system and asking like what Burhalter really wanted these players to do. What what were they trying to do? What were they attempting to do? Um, in this over this this game and, and largely what is this system trying to accomplish in the first place so I'll say at least from my learnings and studying and, and trying to figure out what he's trying to do a lot of what Greg's trying to do is based on Manchester City's system he has a lot of respect for Pep Guardiola and has talked about him often and what Pep Guardiola and Manchester City is trying to do is basically get the ball to the end line and square it back or, or play dangerous balls across the middle now these are not necessarily Uh, 50-50 crosses in the air or anything like that. These are highly dangerous balls across the box. You see Manchester City score all kinds of goals this way. You see a a lot of teams play this way. A lot of teams are attempting to do this. And if you can do that effectively, if you can get to the end line and play in dangerous balls like that, not only will you create scoring chances and score goals, but you'll also open up the middle, and at that point, you can get in the middle and and penetrate there. Uh, So you're kind of pulling the defense apart um, horizontally in order to kind of get in there and, and get in the middle. Uh, which is the ultimate goal is to have both those avenues open. And if you look at this game, you can see that the U.S. actually managed to get in those positions, uh, especially early on, fairly regularly. And and the really scary thing for me is that if we're getting exactly what we want, if we got our best player in his best position and and everything is, is going our way, can we execute at that point? And I think throughout World Cup qualifying, that's been the big the big rough spot is is specifically, I think, Christian Pulisic getting into these dangerous areas of the field and just not being able to capitalize on them. And there's a few moments like that where that happened. Uh, in the sixth minute, uh, Christian Pulisic is on the left flank. He's got the ball. This is the cl- classic Christian Pulisic danger area uh, to have the ball. He beats his man to the end line. At this point, we have exactly what we want. We have Ricardo Pepe crashing the near post. 
We have Weston McKinney, the all-world aerial player, Weston McKinney crashing the back post, and we have Gio Reyna crashing the middle. So we have our best player uh, in, in his best position, and we have our best aerial attacker running to the back post, a super advantageous position for the U.S., and what happens Christian skies it over the box. Now in the vacuum, this isn't a huge deal because players mess up opportunities all the time. Even the best players fail to execute in a lot of situations. The idea is if you can put your best attackers in these places uh, over and over again, eventually you're going to have good results. Unfortunately, we were able to get our best attackers in these positions fairly regularly, but we, they weren't able to produce the results. In the 15th minute, uh, DeAndre Yedlin plays a long diagonal to Pulisic in behind. Uh, Pulisic's touch to control is bad and allows Saudi Arabia to come in and steal it. In this moment, he actually had uh, Ricardo Pepe with him and and just did not put the touch that you would want. I, I think looking back on like Christian Pulisic's touch against Panama whenever he brought the ball down in the box and was able to score that remarkable goal, um, that guy, that, that guy who was able to make that touch, we didn't see that guy over these two games. And, and that's the scary situation for the U.S. Uh, in the 16th minute, Gio Reyna plays a free kick to Pulisic, who's alone on the box. Pulisic elects to head this ball to the near post, and he just misses it far wide. Just another opportunity where you need your best player on the field to be the best player on the field, and, and you got to wonder what, what a better Christian Pulisic in that situation looks like. Um, another moment, I, I don't have the exact moment written down, but uh, it was whenever Areola and Christian Pulisic actually swapped wings, and Christian Pulisic made a run in behind that was very similar to the run that he made in behind where he scored his goal in the semifinal of the Champions League against Real Madrid. Uh, the issue is on this particular one, Christian's just not able to bring the ball down cleanly and allow Saudi Arabia back into the play. And, and it's just a nothing thing that happens, which is frustrating because you have these moments where you're putting your guy in the spots to uh, score goals, in the spots to create for others, in the spots to, to create dangerous opportunities. And it, he's just not executing. And I think. That's largely where Christian's at right now, where he's just not getting a lot of minutes for Chelsea. He's not enjoying his soccer at Chelsea. He's not that that super exciting, super dangerous, cutting-edge player that we need him to be right now. He has two months to get back there, and, and that's our hope, is that he gets back there. He's got a lot of changes at Chelsea, a lot of opportunity for him to impress his new manager, to just change his world around him. Uh, so hopefully that happens, because if it doesn't, um, it's it's a rough spot, and and maybe you think about not playing ballistic, playing somebody else. I don't know. Uh, but whenever you're in these advantageous positions as, as a soccer team, um, you got to execute on them, and, and we're just not doing that right now. If the U.S. wants to be effective, I mean, we could talk about systems, we could talk about coaches, we could talk about player selection, we could talk about all this stuff. If the U.S. is going to be effective in the World Cup, if they're going to make any noise, we need our best players to be our best players. We need our best players in form, playing well, and confident, and getting after it. And currently, that's just not the case. I mean, Christian Pulisic's just not playing for Chelsea right now. He, he's a substitute, uh, and he just does not look himself at all. He hasn't looked himself uh, for his club team, uh, much less for his country. Uh, even in the, the substitute minutes that Christian is getting at Chelsea right now, he's not showing anything that shows that he deserves more minutes, that he's any better than any of the other wingers that they have at the club right now. And he has to be better. If he's not better, if he's not dynamic, if he's not that exciting Christian Pulisic uh, that, that we know, the U.S. is going to have a long day at the World Cup, no matter what. No matter what, no, no matter who's the coach, no matter what the system is, no, no matter what, if Christian Pulisic is playing like he's playing right now, we're going to have a tough World Cup. 
the same can be said for West McKinney. We've seen West McKinney be absolutely devastating. We've seen West McKinney be the best player on the field, an absolute dominant force, both for Juventus and for the U.S. I mean, there's games like the game uh, against Mexico in November, the Dos Acero game, that he absolutely took over the midfield and was a dominant force. And and his his cutting edge, his, his ab- ability to play balls in behind, his long balls, his taking players on, his physicality, his winning every duel just brought so much energy. We didn't get that West McKinney over these two games, not even close. Uh, and, and some of the times he was he was a disaster. I mean, that game against Japan was really rough. The game against Saudi Arabia was a little bit better, but nowhere near where, where you're hoping to see from Weston McKinney. Uh, he's got to get better. Um, I, I think Gio Reyna's health concerns, I mean, we were hoping at this point that Gio Reyna would be like the um, the 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 playmaker for this squad that uh, he would be worked in at this point and, and the U.S. would look a lot more cohesive and threatening in the final third. Um, we just haven't had a healthy Gio and able to incorporate into the squad at this point. And I think all those conversations people had about how do you, who do you start out of Gio and Weah and, and, um, and Aronson, I think at this point everybody is looking at Weah as the guy who has to start because of what he can provide and Gio Reyna potentially being a substitute because we just don't know how healthy he's going to be. Um, it, it's becoming really scary at this point. And, and then Serginho Dest is probably the last one. I don't know how many minutes Serginho is going to get at AC Milan. I think he's in a better place. He's in a better headspace. I think he's at a place that wants him. Uh, he's just got to get some regular minutes under his belt. Uh, to be fair, Serginho, I thought he was one of the better players on the field for the U.S., against Saudi Arabia, and he did some really interesting things and, and allowed the U.S. to be dangerous around, along that left flank. A lot of the early part of the game where the U.S. was putting nice things together, Serginho was right in the middle of it, uh, but we need him playing well and healthy. Now, when it comes to Greg Berhalter and his system, I based a lot of this video on the idea that the U.S. was trying to give different looks and, and not really reveal too much uh, to opposition as we head into Qatar. We don't know if that's the case. Potentially, I mean, Greg was was playing the team as he expects them to line up in the World Cup. And if that's the case, then it was an absolute disaster class from Greg Berhalter. He has to be criticized for uh, playing this possession-style system with center backs that just are unable to play that system. in um, some midfielder, just the, the whole team is not able to play that system. I mean, in that first game against Japan, the absolute disaster class there where the U.S. just had no answers and, and tactically they had no answers and just a really just disappointing performance from Craig Perhalter in this window, uh, leaving a lot of people uh, just absolutely ripping him and, and calling for his head right now. Um, and considering how the team has performed, it has made um, the, the questions regarding specifically, I think Jordan Pifok is the number one. I alluded to it earlier on this video, but if the knock against Pifok is that he doesn't press well and he doesn't play well with the ball at his feet, then whenever we see the team perform, we should see the team, the striker, performing and getting balls played into their feet. We didn't see that over this two-game window, so it makes the questions over PFOC's uh, absence just grow louder and louder. And then there's the ever-looming uh, Tim Ream and John Brooks. If we are going to play possession style, if we are going to build from the back and expect our center backs to play these balls, then why would you not have our best center backs out there? Uh, especially considering if the knock against them is that we're playing this high line and we're high pressing, and then we don't actually press what a high line we play a mid block, which would have been fine for for Ream or Brooks. A uh, lot of questions there. <laughs> I mean, a lot of fair, a lot of pertinent questions there. 
So here we are with uh, less than 60 days until the World Cup. We saw a U.S. squad that really deviated from a lot of the things we had been building towards and kind of regressed to a version of the U.S. team uh, that just didn't work and that we changed a lot of things from. And, and once again, it proved that it didn't work because of the same reasons that it didn't work the first time. Uh, so a really uninspiring performance over this two-game window. Uh hoping that these were all smoke and mirrors that Greg Berhalter's putting out different things and, and trying to put the team in different situations to where we have other uh, bullets in our chamber for Qatar and, and that the opposition is not all that prepared for what we're going to bring at them. I would be surprised as hell if we don't press and if we try to build out of the back. That's just, that's just so far away from what we've been doing lately. Do you think Greg Berhalter watches these videos? How, how you doing? Are, are you doing all right? I mean, it was a rough week for all of us, I think. Uh, it's going to be great to have club soccer back, and we'll be able to watch that and cheer on our boys. It sounds like Jedi's coming back. It sounds like Wea's coming back. It sounds like Musa's coming back. Uh, so the cavalry will arrive for the U.S., Hope, hoping, hoping nothing bad happens to any other U.S. players. Uh, so we, we still got a lot to look forward to. The World Cup is coming. Anything can happen. Let's hope these guys are healthy and playing well. Thank you guys so much for watching. If you want the Yank Report in podcast form, you can get it anywhere podcasts are podcasted. As always, si puede hablar espanol. Díame un comentario en espanol. Thank you so much for watching. If you want to support the channel, you can subscribe. You can like. You can also become a member. Being a member directly supports me, directly uh, allows me to uh, create content like this. Thank you to my tier two members, Manuel Oliveras, Mike Irish, Chris Matassa, Matthew Doyle, Matthew Hanna, Michael Baker, and Dan McVeigh. Thank you guys so much for watching. My name is Sam, and this is the Yank Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.